We are in week two of beautiful uh, resistance, and uh, we've been talking about the idea that there are things in our culture that we must resist, and that the Bible lays out clearly what it looks like to follow God's way, and that there are anecdotes, anecdotes, not anecdotes, anecdotes, to uh, what the culture has sort of made normal in our world. And so, you know, um, the idea that culture would say, hey, it's like we should be living like this, but the Bible is very clear. Hey, here's, an, here's another way to go. Maybe think about it in a different way and maybe go like in this direction. Um, and so I, I do think that as our culture sort of goes further and further away from Scripture, further and further away from God's, God's way, that there will be more and more places where we'll need to resist as Christians. And what I'm not calling us to do is to go out and fight some sort of social media battle or to try to talk other people into living you know, the way that God has called us to live or to put Christian values onto people who are obviously are not Christians and, and aren't trying to live that way. I'm not trying to call you to make a statement or you know, to start a fight with somebody or to try to win people over. What I'm challenging you to do is to fight the drift that comes with kind of being drawn into what the culture is saying is good and okay, and to focus on what God has called us uh, to focus on. And, uh, you know, last week we talked about apathy and how we have to fight the drift towards apathy. There's just so many things in our world that just draw us into kind of disconnecting and not caring and kind of losing our passion and what that looks like and then how to sort of fight that, fight that apathy. Well, today I want to talk about um, an idea that'll be controversial. Like the word itself brings about controversy because of the political system that we find ourselves in and because of kind of how people have leveraged uh, this idea in the world around us. Um, and I want to say what we can do as Christians sometimes is throw the baby out with the bathwater. In other words, we can hear the word and assume what it means based on the political system or based on the culture that we live in and then assume that we should throw all of it out. And in this case, I don't think God has called us to do that. I think that God has shown us that there's something here to be identified in our own hearts and lives. And if we pay attention to this, we actually have a chance to leverage something to help other people. Uh, and so I want to start here with Luke chapter 22. And if you'll follow with me, Luke chapter 22, I believe this is actually going to be in the NLT version. So it's not going to follow what you have in your Bible on your thing. So I'm sorry for doing that, but I just like the way that it read differently in the NLT. So as you follow along, you may want to follow along on screen today. Um, Luke chapter 22. And this is Jesus uh, with his disciples. Uh, just to set the scene, because it, it actually is really important how ridiculous what's about to happen is based on what Jesus has been doing and the scene that has been set and the situation that he's, he's been in. Um, he has basically uh, warned all of his disciples that he's about to go to the cross, that he's about to go through a difficult situation where he's going to pay a price that is going to spill his own blood for them. They haven't quite wrapped their head around what that means, but Jesus has been kind of preparing them. And think about Jesus' life up to this point. This is kind of near the end. He's modeled what it looks like to not care about uh, money, to not be worried about worldly possessions, to, you know, to give 
uh, an audience to people who wouldn't generally have an audience with anyone who has power. Like he's gone out of his way to do things that serve people that usually wouldn't be served and to be with people that wouldn't, he, you wouldn't usually want to spend time with and to not value the things of the culture. So Jesus resisted kind of the culture around him. In fact, even when someone comes to him and says, hey, should we be paying taxes? What does he say? He says, like, give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's. Like, let's separate these two things. You have a responsibility as a Roman citizen. Fine, that's fine. That, give, them, give the money and the worldly possessions and all that like, stuff. Just give it to Caesar. Let it be over there. Let's focus on what God wants from you. God wants your heart. Give to God what is God's, right? And he stays focused on that. And so as he's kind of doing that, he has this moment where he spends time with his disciples and he washes their feet. He tries to help them understand that he's going to call them to this life of being a servant. And he goes about doing it in such a way that almost makes them feel ridiculously super uncomfortable. I don't know if you've ever had your feet washed. Um, I, I, I remember the first time I had my feet washed, it was like a thing we did at camp where the leaders that were the leaders of that summertime came and washed all the camp counselors' feet. And it was like, that's, that's a real risk, right? Like, I was like, 22 and we were like running around outside with sandals on and like hygiene is one of those things that like eh, summer camp you know it's like take a shower tomorrow kind of thing it's like these leaders got down I remember feeling kind of uncomfortable with the idea of someone first of all touching my feet and secondly like did I did I wash well enough before I came into this meeting like how long has it been since I like really scrubbed my feet uh, are my nails like clipped? Like I remember feeling weird about it, right? If someone takes your socks off and starts to wash your feet, feel weird. In their day, it was probably worse than that because they were walking around in sandals in like the the desert. Like, can you imagine how caked on that? Like, it would be so gross. And here comes Jesus. I'm gonna wash your feet. And he gets down on his knees, and they're like, Jesus, please don't wash my feet. Like, I feel weird about this. This should be a servant's job. This should be the lowest job on the totem pole not the leader's job. So Jesus washes their feet and he's trying to help them understand that they're going to need to be servants in like every way possible. And then here come the disciples really getting, really, really getting what Jesus is teaching. Look at what it says, Luke chapter uh, 22, verse 24. Then they uh, began to argue among themselves about who would be the greatest among them. Yeah, they're really, they're really picking this up. Jesus told them, like, first of all, Jesus is showing a lot of restraint because I would have been super annoyed. Like, if I had middle schoolers who were not getting the idea back in the day when I was a youth pastor, like, I would have just went off on everybody. They would have been afraid of me, and then they would have done whatever needed to be done. It would have worked. It doesn't work as well with adults, um, but it does work really great with middle schoolers. Um, Jesus told them, In this world, kings and great men lord it over their people, yet they are called friends of the people. So he says there are people out there who will grab power, hold on to power, lord it over people. There are people who have privilege. They have you know, unique access to get to places of position of power, and they use it to enrich themselves. They use it to make themselves great. They use it to make their name great. And they are often looked at as people who are you know, serving the world around them. Jesus is like, I want you to understand this is what the world looks like. I mean, you could read this statement about our world today and it would absolutely be accurate. Like, anybody who gets near power, it seems like, in our world just grabs more of it 
Anybody who has privilege just leverages it for themselves. Anyone who has access to special abilities or special power, special like they, they leverage it for themselves. They make a name for themselves. They gather up more of it. They enrich themselves. We see this in our political process all the time. I'm not going to get super political because, like, honestly, I could just shoot holes in everybody and all of them, and I could you know, stand up here and make a case that all of them are... But, but really, honestly, I struggle sometimes to find anybody who's in power who's not leveraging it for the people that they're supposed to be serving. In fact, they're just gathering more of it. They're saying, hey, I've got a little bit of privilege in this area. I've got a little bit of access to power in this area. I'm going to get on this committee. I'm going to make a name for myself in this way. I'm going to make sure that people pay attention to me here. And then I'm going to get on some sort of board of some sort of corporation. I'm going to enrich myself. I'm going to give a couple speeches and make millions of dollars. And one day I'll be a famous politician. Right? Even people in our like local government, even people who have sort of like are in the, the limelight or in the, you know, Hollywood or in the eyes of, of they just kind of grab all that and they just sort of hold on to themselves. When was the last time we saw someone actually leverage their status, their power, their privilege for somebody else? Jesus sets the stage. He says, like, in this world, this is how it works. And I think we could look at the world around us and say, this is how it works for us too. Like, the minute someone gets power, they just continue to grab hold of it. The minute someone gets privileged, they leverage it for themselves. But that's not what Jesus wanted from his disciples. So he says, but, okay, so hey, in this world it's like this, but among you it will be different. Now, I always wonder about that statement that Jesus is staying there because is he prophesying in this moment? Does he know what's going to happen among this group of people? You know, we, we have now kind of the... Uh, the able to look back in hindsight and see what happened with all the disciples. Each one of them sacrificed their own life to defend Jesus all the way to the death and was killed for their faith, except for John. Right, so all the people in this room, right, Judas goes first, he betrays Jesus and is killed. So that one you can put to the side. But the other 10 out of 11 disciples in this room that are with Jesus when he's having this conversation with them, all of them will give their life, and some of them in heinous horrific ways. Some of them even worse than what Jesus went through. Okay, so, I mean, it is like a significant comment when he says, but among you, it'll be different. Is he prophesying over them? Is he saying, hey, you guys are going to be servants to the people in the first church and give your life away as a ransom for the people around you? Like, you will eventually pay the same price that I'm going to pay? He doesn't say, hey, I hope it's different. He says, it will be different among you guys. There's something about being a Christian that flips power and privilege and all these things on their head. And Jesus says, you guys are going to look different. Those of you, those who are the greatest among you should take the lowest rank and the leader should be like the servant. Jesus is talking about himself here and saying they should take the same stance as he will take. Who is more important, the one who sits at the table or the one who serves? Verse 27. The one who sits at the table, of course, but not here. Jesus says, my kingdom is different. What I'm calling you to do is different. Your culture might go in this direction. I want you to go in this direction. I want you to be a servant. I want you to put aside your privilege. I want you to sacrifice for those around you. He says, but not here, for I am among you as one 
who serves. And I can imagine in this conversation, he's like, do you remember when I put the towel over my shoulder and washed your feet? I was trying to show you something. That's what I'm expecting. Verse 28, he says, you have stayed with me in my time of trial, and just as my father has granted me a kingdom, I now grant you the right to eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and you will sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And so Jesus says to them, hey, there will be a payoff for this, but it's not going to be here, right? If you live the way that I've called you to live, my kingdom gets built in this world, and that's exactly what he's going for with his disciples, but also that they'll have a special place one day as they sit above Israel and are helping judge the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, I don't think we're like generally as Christians going to God and asking for special seats in heaven, thrones in heaven. That's not really where I'm going with this. But I want you to know that the things that you do here do affect eternity in many ways. Not only does it affect the lives of other people who then accept Jesus and follow the way that you're showing them, but also there is reward for us when the final time comes and we're able to be in heaven, that if we've lived the way that God has called us to live, that there are rewards in that way. And so today, I really just want to talk through the idea that we are called to resist privilege. Now, I know that that word brings along with it some baggage, right? Because privilege, that idea of privilege has been sort of uh, co-opted in society and been uh, used in all kinds of ways. So I'm not uh, here to talk about critical theory uh, or you know, to, to shame you for, your, for the privilege that you have, but I'm here to have an honest conversation about what privilege you have and what you should do with it. And I think sometimes when we hear that statement and we hear those words, there are two ways that we react, right? The first way that we react when to the idea that we have privilege. That's one of your fill-ins, by the way, if you're following along in the app. The first way that we react to the idea that we might have privilege is that we are defensive. We say, whoa, I don't have privilege. What are you talking about? I, look, man, like, I didn't do anything that took anything away from anybody else. And I get it. I understand where you're coming from. Because, to be honest with you, I've met people who... You know, the world might say to them, you know, hey, you're, the intersectionality of your whiteness and your maleness or whatever mean that you have all this privilege. And I've met people that have come from nothing and built their way to success and have used every opportunity they have to make it in the world. I, and I get it. I'm not looking for anyone to be defensive. But what I am saying is, I believe that in our culture, there are people that start ahead and start behind, and that those of us who find ourselves with situations where we might have started ahead a little bit, not talking about the people who made it out, even though they worked their way out of it, and I'm not talking about the people who want to become victims, because I'm not trying to say that we should make people victims, but for us to honestly say, hey, we have some privilege here, and now we need to think about what to do with it. Like, how should I be leveraging or using, or what should I do with it? And so to get defensive doesn't necessarily help us identify the places in our lives where we have something that we could use to help other people. Are you following me here? Okay. I'm not looking to start a political fight, but I'm trying to help you understand that this is a real thing that Jesus had. Think about Jesus' privilege. Think about his position, right? 
Jesus didn't use the power that was available to him in ways that we wouldn't be able to access ourselves. Jesus did everything that he did through the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that now indwells in us. Jesus put aside, didn't give it away, didn't leverage it, didn't use it, gave away, put aside, decided not to use whatever, however you want to say it, but didn't give it away, decided not to use it. His position, his power, his own personal position to protect himself, to get himself out of sacrificing himself, he didn't do any of that. He actually leveraged his position to sacrifice himself for all of us. And the way that we, if we def- react to the idea that we might have some privilege with defensiveness, we've just missed an opportunity to sacrifice something that could help and serve other people. Okay, So there's defensive. Second idea is that we say, hey, responsibility, man. you got to be responsible for your own self. And if you can't figure yourself out, hey, that's on you. That's not on me. I didn't do anything to you. And you're right. You didn't necessarily do anything to anyone else. I know our world would like to say, oh, but you're racist or you're this or you're that, you're sexist, you're whatever. And they want to turn one side into kind of evil people who leverage their privilege for themselves and turn another group of people into victims. I don't think any of that stuff really helps us. But to say that someone else has responsibility uh, for everything that happens in their life is to miss the idea that some people start behind the eight ball in a lot of ways that you have really no idea. I have a friend who um, works with refugees and finds himself kind of in the situation of somebody coming over to our country and spending time with them and helping them normalize into our society. And it's funny the kind of things that he ends up getting involved in with the person that he's helping. Like, it's stuff that we would take for granted. Like, to sit down and do their taxes with them, to help them figure out how to get a driver's license, to help them figure out, you know, uh, health care in, in our country. Like, they find themselves doing things that seem normal and easy for all the rest of us. And even that, maybe some of us, like, it's not normal or not easy to find our way into some of those things, right? But finding, saying, hey, I've got some privilege. I know how to do all this. I'm used to this country. And this person's coming over, and they're starting behind the eight ball. Let me help them get caught up to where they can be uh, functioning in a way that helps, okay? And so by saying sometimes, hey, you should take responsibility for everything that's going on in your life, we miss the idea that sometimes people start behind the eight ball. They have a disadvantage. And sometimes we have an advantage, and we have a chance to leverage that advantage for other people. Sorry. So let me, let me kind of bring this to what we should be doing, because I think maybe you're wondering, okay, where are you going with this, buddy? Here's a quote from Beautiful Resistance by John Tyson, which is what this uh, whole sermon series comes out of this book. But he says, It could not be clearer from Jesus' life that privilege is not something to be ignored or enjoyed. So just stop there and think about that for a second. When you think about the ways that you might have started ahead in life and someone else may have started behind in life, whether that was a systemic problem or whether it was a racial problem or whether it was a problem of sex you know, in our, in our world, whether it was a problem, whatever the issue is, some of us have started ahead, some of us have started behind. It's not, we don't need to vilify people, but we also shouldn't ignore it, and we also shouldn't leverage it and enjoy it for ourselves, right? This is what Tyson's point is. He says, it is to be stewarded for the sake of others. So now when you turn and look and say, okay, where is it that I have 
the ability to leverage something in my life that's easy for me or that has brought me success or that's something that was, I, I had a, a leg up on, the, on everybody else, I have a chance to now take that thing and steward that thing and leverage it for others. I'm not trying to leverage it all for myself, and I'm not trying to ignore it and act like it doesn't exist. I'm trying to find a way to serve the world with the privileges that I've personally been given. I've had to really think about this, you know, in my own life, you know, and I don't, I don't know how you have thought about your own life, but even growing up kind of in like a, a sort of a more traditional family structure, having both mom and dad in my life, being a white dude, I, I realized that there's certain things that come along with being a white guy. I don't, I'm not looking to vilify white men, but I'm just saying there's something that comes along with that. I don't know if we all often think about those advantages that we have and then try to figure out how we can take those things and leverage them for other people. Often we're either trying to act like we don't have it or we're trying to leverage it for ourselves and be selfish with the advantages that we have. And I think Jesus would say, hey, I had some privileges and I leveraged them for the entire world. And he called his disciples to take the privileges that they had, the positions that they had, and leverage those for the people around them. And I think as God has called us to see the world around us, there's opportunities for us to take the privileges that we have and to leverage those things for the people, people around us. God has called us to steward our privilege for others. And I think about this in certain ways, right? So I think here are the culture's options, and I'm going to talk about a third way here. So the culture's options. One is, for the culture, I win, you lose, okay? We've seen this one. This one is basically what like, history has been for thousands and thousands of years. You take whatever advantages you have, you leverage them for yourself, you enrich yourself, you enrich your family, your people, whatever, and then hopefully that continues on from generation to generation, and that becomes a systemic thing that now serve, serves you and serves your, your people and your family. We've seen this. This is like might equals right. This is take advantage of whatever it is that you need to take advantage of in the world, and that's one of the options for the culture. I win, you lose. I don't think there's a Christian out there who thinks this is a good idea. If I win and you lose, this is not the system that we want to buy into. Okay? We don't want to win at the advantage of other people. I don't think God has called us to that, and I don't think the world has called us to that. But that's one of the options. Okay? Here's the second one. Win-win. And you're like, dude, win-win's great. What are you talking about? Win-win's what we want. If I win and someone else wins because of my privilege, this is perfect. Well, sometimes. Like this one gets leveraged as pious or it gets leveraged as I'm a really great person because I'm willing to sacrifice for other people. And we end up using this one. It's also a little bit arrogant, a little bit paternal to say like, hey, uh, you know, I can leverage this for someone else but also gain something out of this. I think God calls us to something even more intense than this. And I think there's a third way. And often, we find ourselves struggling with what the culture is doing around us. There is a third way. There is another option. There's a way that God has called us to, that Jesus has modeled for us, that we should pay attention to. And here's the third way that I want to I encourage you to think about. Here's what it looks like to be a Christian. And here's what I think Jesus was trying to teach his disciples. And it's this. It's I sacrifice, we win. But I think Jesus has called us to look in all the areas that we have to sacrifice and to use those areas for other people. You may think to yourself, I don't know, like, I don't know if I, if I want to sacrifice. 
I know this conversation, it comes out in many, many ways. It comes out in how we use our time, how we volunteer. It comes out in ways that we use our money, right? The things that we have access to that we can leverage, things that we can steward. And if we're finding ourselves constantly sacrificing for other people to produce wins in their lives, I think that is what Jesus has called us to do. Not to ignore, not to enjoy those privileges that we have, but to leverage those for the sake of the world around us. And it's hard for us to kind of think through what that sometimes looks like, but I'll, I'll give you a, a pretty good example. Like, when was the last time you sacrificed financially for someone else? I mean, just think about it for a second. What has God given you? Most people in this room, very middle class, maybe upper middle class. I mean, most of us. Most of us have extra, more than we need. Most of us have the ability to take what we've been given by God and to steward that to serve the world around us. A lot of you guys do that through the church. A lot of you guys do that through organizations that serve our community. A lot of you do it through personal connections that you have with specific people who you know who need stuff and you're able to help and to give it. I know for us as a church, and I say we, I sacrifice, we win. It could also be we sacrifice as a church, we win. We are always taking uh, situations that people are going through and stepping in and helping out. We're always finding ourselves leveraging what we have as an organization to help other people. A lot of it is stuff we can't even really talk about because it's personal things to people that we're stepping in and helping them deal with a specific situation. And I can't even stand up here and say, hey, this week we you know, showed up at a single mom's house and you know, they had a crisis and we brought a laundry basket full of groceries and like four or five gift cards and prayed with them and spent time with them and asked them how we could help the situation that they were in. I can't even tell you about those moments because they're personal. Like, I can't give you the information about but We're doing that as a church all the time. And yeah, you still see us leveraging in ways that, you know, we spend close to $10,000 a year. I think this year it might have been 9000 We were a little bit more financially uh, astute. We've kind of made some changes and saved a little bit of money. But on the, the resource fair, we leveraged that much money to make sure that that fair happened because we know that of the significance that it has in the community around us. We chose not to do a gigantic blowout fall, you know, I don't what do we call it, like food trucks in a field kind of situation. I feel like every church just has food trucks in a field as their kickoff thing in the fall, right? But instead, we took that money, whatever that would have been, whatever that would have cost us to rent all those food trucks and to rent all those bounce houses and to rent, you know, some ninja course or whatever and put it out in a field somewhere and then, you know, set up a, a place to take pictures with pumpkins. Like, we took all that stuff and we said, hey, we want to do a, a resource fair instead where we can serve and love our community. It'd be more important to us to spend our money this way. Right? Our, the, uh, gift, the gift um, Operation Joy where we gave gifts to the community. So many people. I mean, people take the day off and they come and they serve all day long helping people to get gifts for their kids and to provide some dignity for people around them that need it. Like, if we're not sacrificing for the world around us, we're missing the idea that we have a whole lot that we can give away or use to leverage to serve the world around us. And many of us have 
being given a lot and we've done something with it and now we've got something to use to give the community. And we don't often leverage or sacrifice those things. And there is a difference when it comes to the idea of sacrifice because I think sometimes we say, well, I give to the church. By the way, this is, I'm not, please don't go home and change your giving because of what I'm about to say. I'm not leveraging this as a fundraiser, okay? But it's an important conversation to be had. I mean, you can if you want to, but you know what you, what you give to the church, and you know if it's a sacrifice or not. You know what you give to the world around you, the people around you, the people at work that have need all around you, the people in your neighborhood that have need around you, the people that you know who maybe are in a tougher situation than you're in, and have you, have you actually sacrificed? I think sometimes we just say, hey, you know, I'll just set this to auto pay like $50 a month or something and it'll be like getting a, you know, a subscription to something and I'll just kind of forget that it exists and you know that that's not a sacrifice. Right? Giving your time. You'll say, you know, maybe put me on the schedule for like once a month but like that for you is not really, not really a sacrifice. You don't have to think too hard about, you don't have to really pray over that. You don't have to really plan to give away all that much time. That's not really a sacrifice. Jesus, when he was thinking about us, decided to give everything, all of it, to go to a cross and to spend everything he had to cover the debt of the world around him. And sometimes we have a hard time doing very simple things that really aren't even sacrifices. God has called us to give in a way that is sacrificial in every area of our life, every place we might have a privilege, everywhere we might have excess, every place where we might be able to change the way that we do something to serve and to leverage it for someone else. And if you are somebody, by the way, who you know, pulled yourself up by your bootstraps and found your way out of the in- intensely difficult situation that you were born into, amazing. Now what has God given you to leverage for other people? Right? Like, unbelievable. That's unbelievable. Now let's turn around and give that away. This is what God has called us to do. And you might think like, hey man, let's just calm down here a second. Like, I don't know about this sacrificing thing. Like, we have it all planned out and we've got a plan and I know exactly what I can give and what we can do and this is what we can, I can give and this is what we can do. And then I would say, I think God wants more. Not because I want more, I think God wants more. I think we, something happens to us when we sacrifice, right? When we, it hurts for us a little bit to give the thing that God has called us to give, whatever that thing is. Like there is something spiritual that happens in us when we sacrifice those advantages, those excesses, those things that God has given us to leverage, those things that we can steward. And here's how I know. Philippians chapter 2, verse 1. This is Paul writing in Philippians. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, those are privileges, by the way, that we've been given through the sacrifice of Jesus, if any common sharing in the Spirit If any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one 
mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Don't leverage it for yourself. The world tells you leverage it for yourself. Don't leverage it for yourself. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. Right? This is Paul saying, hey, be like Jesus. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition. Prefer others in everything that you're doing. Find ways to sacrifice so it actually costs you something and hurts a little bit. Right? Or maybe a lot bit in the case of people who gave up their lives. Right? He says, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He basically says, Jesus had position and power in his corner as something he could leverage for himself. At any moment, he could have called down angels and taken himself off that cross. At any moment, he could have decided not to follow God's will, and it would have been totally fine for him to make that decision, right? But he chose to give himself on a cross to pay and cover the debt of other people who were not going to love him, people that were actually going to send him to that cross, people who hadn't done anything to earn his love. He had already decided, I'm going to leverage the privilege that I have, and I'm going to give it away to people who don't even love me yet. Hopefully they'll come around. That's what he was saying. When Paul writes, like this is just transformational stuff. The idea that you might sacrifice in a way that serves someone else in this way. He says, in your relationships with one another, one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. He sacrificed, you can read into that, everything by taking the very nature of a servant, by being made in human likeness, by being found in the appearance of a man. He humbled himself. He became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Like, let that, just let that hit you again fresh, because I know this is a famous passage. I know probably you've heard this before, right? But let it hit you again. Just let it wash over you one more time. In your relationship with others, have the same mindset of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, being found in the appearance of a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every other name that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's in Philippians chapter 2. The point is very simple today. The world tells you, collect as much as you can, leverage everything you can, use all your privilege for yourself. Jesus says, Take everything that you've got that you can leverage for other people and sacrifice. It should, you should feel it. 
it should hurt you a little bit or a lot bit to give that away to people who need it. And you might think, like, I just don't know how to do that or what to do. Well, then that's time to go and ask God what it looks like to sacrifice what you have on behalf of other people. You know, I find myself kind of running into people all the time as a pastor who have all kinds of issues, and I have conversations with them about what situations are going on in their lives, and I think to myself, this is a tough situation somebody's in, and how can we help, and to leverage as much as you you can. But the more that you meet with people, the more that you see what's going on in their lives, the more they kind of open up to you, you realize that all of us are carrying around a whole lot of stuff that a lot of us could step into and fill and help and be part of. I think like God has called us all to this idea of sacrificing because if there were an organization, a lot of the church, who found a way to live in a sacrificial way for the world around them, and if we did this together as a group, we would literally change the world around the church that we were sacrificing in. Like this is the gospel lived out in the world among us, that churches of people would see themselves as gospel agents able to leverage all that they have for the world around them, and that the church itself would find ways to leverage what we've all collectively come and put together for the world around us. And the world is drawing you in the exact opposite direction. So it's going to take effort for you to think, to pray, to position yourself to be able to sacrifice for other people. And my question for you today would be, what does that look like for you? I can't solve that problem for every person in this room, but I can ask you to ask that question, which is, by the way, a dangerous question to ask. Because God may call you to do something or to be one of those crazy Christians that does something crazy, and then you're going to have to decide whether you want to follow Jesus in sacrificing for the world around you. But that is what he has called us to do. Let me, let me finish us in prayer here. God, would you help us all to see that you have given us an unbelievable picture of what sacrifice looks like and called us to sacrifice what we have for the world around us. God, I pray that our small sacrifices all over the place, our time, talent, treasure, our lives, our, our... ability to deal with people, God, that all those things would be used in ways that sacrifice for the world around us, that we would see any chance that we have a a leg up as a way to use for the world around us, for people that are struggling. God, I pray that you would change the world around us, not just individually, but as a group, that you'd use this church and that you would use us as believers to give whatever you've given to us. We know that as a world-transforming type of action. And God, we pray that you would receive the glory from that, that your kingdom would grow. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're able, would you stand? I want to send you with a blessing today. It's from Ephesians chapter 3. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know his love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. 
To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever and ever. Amen, amen, amen.